Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. If you had told me even a year ago that I would be voting on my smartphone in the Lords, I honestly would have thought you were smoking crack. But it happened, and it happened within a month. Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with Tanya Gooden, the podcast that helps you untangle your relationship with your phone. Because we've all been pushed around. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and about understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. Because in learning how to step away from our phones more, we're actually learning how to focus more on our relationships, our work and our health, leaving us happier, healthier and with hours more time in our day. I'm your host, Tanya Gooden, author and founder of digital wellbeing movement Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest what they've learned about themselves from the relationship they have with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. It's a particular pleasure for me to have this week's guest on the podcast because when I drew up my wish list two years ago of people I wanted to interview, she was on it. So I'm chatting today to Martha Lane Fox, Baroness Lane Fox of Soho who was named in November 2019 as the most influential woman in Britain's digital sector from the past quarter of a century. Martha has been at the head of the curve at every stage in our digital revolution and we talked about what it's been like from her early days back in the mid-late 90s launching lastminute.com through to her work as government digital champion with the digitisation of government and the launch of gov.uk, to the stage in her career that she describes as when the shine came off tech and she launched Dot Everyone, which was a charity focused on looking on how we can build responsible tech. So I didn't have much time with her because she's a very busy woman. She's currently chair of the House of Lords COVID committee. And as you can imagine, there's lots going on in that area. And I want to apologise for the sound uh, in some elements of this podcast. We had one of those gremlins that just kept clanking away. So I'm really sorry about that. But in the brief amount of time I had with Martha, we had a really fascinating chat. And we started by me asking her about 
digital inequalities and what the pandemic has really shone a spotlight on in terms of who is using digital and who still isn't. And it may come as a bit of a shock to you to find out just how many people are on the wrong side of the digital divide. So I really hope you enjoy this chat. I found Martha absolutely fascinating and I wished I could have had at least another two hours with her. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Martha, thank you so much for joining us. This podcast has spent quite a lot of time looking at what happens to us when we're overly connected and involved with the digital world. And it struck me during the COVID crisis that that's really a a problem of privilege and that actually there's a much bigger problem that we should be looking at, which is the people who aren't connected. And I think what's happened with the pandemic, I think everyone agrees that it's really shone the light on digital inequalities, particularly in the UK. So you were the government's digital champion from 2009 to 2013. Why do you think we've still got this issue existing in the UK? Why are there, according to the ONS, still 5% of the UK's adults not internet users? I think it's more, actually. We've been looking at this. I chair the House of Lords Select Committee on COVID-19, and we've been looking at this issue, been looking at the effect of this rapid period of digitisation on lots of aspects of our lives. And the thing that underpins all of it is, as you quite rightly say, the inequalities that have been exposed, partly because they are digital inequalities and partly because health inequalities are more exposed if you look at them through a digital lens. Educational inequalities are more exposed. So you're right, it's still a shockingly large number, and I would contest that it's actually only 5%, because although you may be able to look at the kind of on and off people that have an internet connection and people who don't, there are still, in my opinion, and the numbers bear this out, you look at the Good Things Foundation numbers or um, other charities that work at a much more granular community level, People can have an internet connection, but not actually have the skills to use the internet and can often have a connection, but can't afford to regularly update their data plan and so on and so on. So we've been hearing from people in our inquiry that um, have told us they are choosing between whether or not they buy food or whether they pay for internet access. And that, to me, in 2021, one of the richest countries in the world is really deeply shocking. Exactly. And it's um, a multitude of reasons, but I think it gets overcomplicated. That's not to say that solving it doesn't take some unpicking and some focus and some resource and there is complexity. But in the end, as you say, it is a question of privilege. Mm -hmm. And so the intersection of poverty, uh, deprivation, inequalities of all kinds and digital Uh, access and then um, usage and understanding are very tightly linked so if you start to unpick some of those threads you could see how to start solving the problem it's really really incredibly important that we Mm. think about this issue a lot more than we have done uh, I believe at a societal level because especially because of the dual whacking of Brexit and Covid In my opinion, we need to be building resilience in our country from as many ways as possible. And we won't be able to really be a modern, high-functioning economy if we haven't been able to digitise ourselves more effectively than we have so far. 
I always remember, obviously, when Labour had, with the last election, part of their manifesto was free broadband. And I know that received, yes. you know, kind of from the, the Tories quite a lot of, you know, attack and derision yeah. about. But what is so ridiculous about that as an idea? Um, I, I appreciate that there are, as you said, that it's a very complex issue. There are other issues involved. There's, you know, there's skills, there's digital literacy, there's equipment once you've got the broadband. But shouldn't we be treating broadband access to every home like being on the national grid? You know, shouldn't it be yeah, just yes. taken I, I think... as given? I agree. I think we should. I mean, I think it's multi-layered. I think it did receive too much derision. I agree. I don't know if it is the thing that will crack that five percent that ONS that the, the ONS number you quoted, but it would certainly go a long way to helping families who face challenges and not make that choice between food and data access clearly. So yes, I think it could be a potential solution. It's just not the only solution, and I think it attracted derision because I think. Partly it's a, a political point, clearly. Partly because I think people feel as though we've got pretty robust access in this country and it's pretty highly competitive market and that mm. often it's not the, the main barrier for people. But you know, that's that's just not true. Uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to spend some time outside London in the Chiltern Hills, not at the minute, but one day again, I hope, <laughs> 25 minutes from London, basically, and there is nearly zero internet access. Mm. So, you know, we... we need to have a reckoning about the quality of our infrastructure generally, in my opinion, and which a hugely enormous plank of that is broadband access. So yes, I think it was a it's an important plank of a modern economy, how you help people have access to digital services but it's not the only bit it's not the only bit and helping people with the ability to use it, the motivation to use it, the inspiration to use it, the hardware to use it. You, know, you can have all the pipes you like going free yeah. or not free, but if yeah. people haven't got the ability to buy a computer or a smartphone or a device of some kind, then you haven't enabled them to get up the learning curve. So it's part of it, I agree, but it's not the only part. So you actually chose the theme of digital literacy for your maiden speech in the House of Lords. So obviously it's something that you feel passionately about. Why did you choose that, you know, that aspect specifically? That, that, feels, that feels quite a long time ago already, my goodness gracious <laughs> me. I can still feel it. I was so freaking nervous. It's a funny thing, you know, I do a lot of public speaking and I you know, generally think I'm not good at many things, but it's one of the things I think I can do. But for that, for some reason, speaking in Parliament for the first time was totally nerve-wracking. Nerve-wracking, yeah. My dad, my dad was there to uh, cheer me on and give me some probably unhelpful feedback and um. I really remember pacing the corridors beforehand thinking, oh, my God, he's like, come on, you've spoken way more scary places than this. But for some reason, it was it felt terrifying. It was part of a kind of broader theme, I think, of you know, sort of where we're at with technology and how, you know, I believe, and that was 2014, I guess, 13, yeah. 14. So a bit of time ago, but how I really do did believe that we hadn't quite appreciated the empowerment that comes from giving people the skills and the access to use the internet. And I, I guess I partly chose it slightly as provocation in that environment where I knew I was not totally, uh, where some of perhaps of the audience were not totally on side with the importance of technology. And, and maybe not that digitally literate themselves. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're, you're putting it slightly more uh, unkindly than I would dare say about my colleagues, but yes, no, that's 100%. So I think I wanted to show that, again, back to your 
very sensible initial comments to me about privilege. You know, I understand some people would choose to reject being part of the modern world. That same dad who watched me up and down the corridors giving me a pep talk is perhaps one of those people. He refuses to get a mobile phone, even though he's 74 and lives alone, and I never know if he's all right or not. But that's different to then assuming, therefore, that the digital world does not help the, the vast numbers of people that don't have the luxury of making that choice, I guess. But that was a, that felt like a different time. And yeah, this is yeah. now six, seven years later. You know, <laughs> I could never have imagined that we would have sped up through technology in the last few months in the way that we have. And it's, we have, I know everyone's talking about this kind of great acceleration, but it is it really, really has been, true. Hasn't it? It's really yeah. true. And you know, that's incredible in some ways. And you know, as you mentioned, the House of Lords, if you had told me even a year ago that I would be voting on my smartphone in the Lords, I honestly would have thought you were smoking crack. But mm. it happened, and it happened within a month. It's like, no, we're not going to let this crazy pandemic shut down the business of Parliament, and we're not going to let it hamper the work of the second chamber, and we're not going to let some of the, the characteristics of that second chamber, as in perhaps not the most digitally literate crowd in the in the country, stop us from being able to... To, to, you know, to, to continue on parliamentary scrutiny. So within one month, the chamber was effectively up and running and it's now a kind of hybrid chamber. And that was amazing. It's incredible. And, you know, as our incredible entertainment people are creating online through yeah. to the amazing ways that people have started businesses doing things online or morphed their business into an online business when perhaps they weren't before. All of those things I find inspiring and incredible. And as someone that's tried to consistently build the case that this is not this is not an optional this is happening and we should either embrace it and drive it forward and prioritize it or get left behind it, it's been amazing to see but in parallel as we started our conversation it has shown the very very divided nature of this country full stop yeah. and digital is an incredibly important part of that mm. and i think one of the planks that when we get right, will really help huge numbers of people in the country, will help communities and help our economic, economic and social well-being. So that's why I care so deeply about it. It's why I cared about it then and it's why I care about it now because it's just so freaking obvious. We have to do this. <laughs> we just have to do it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. 
Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Something that we did get right, and it was on your watch when you were a digital champion, was the launch of Gov.uk. Oh, um, Government Digital Service. I know. Yes. I, you know, I was part of a team, and obviously we, you stand on the shoulders of other people. But I have to say, when I think back to things that I feel proud of in my life, I don't sit around feeling like I've done a great amount of useful things. But, you know, that was that is something which I do take some pride in because along with Mike Bracken, Tom Steinberg, who'd done the work before, Rohan Silver, who was in government, with the, with the Prime Minister at the time, with Mike Bracken, all the others, it, it did really herald a shift in how government thought about technology. And we worked yeah. really hard to make that happen. You know, it hasn't been a completely forward journey, if that makes sense. It's gone a bit sideways. It's now probably gone a bit backwards. There have been huge blockers, whether it's good programs like the identity program that have kind of gone a bit sidetracked or whether it's the inevitable what's the right way fiefdom building of dwp and hmrc who always want control of their own technology all those things have continued to be challenges but fundamentally there has been an incredible amount of talent in the center of government building much better public services and tom loosemore tomsky tomsky on in on twitter is very right to do this very often and often calls out, you know, when the government makes some big announcement about the pandemic, he always says, think of the civil servants right now who are scrabbling to make sure that this is a service that is able to yeah. operate online or can that deliver we can this. find the information. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, yeah. and I, I really do think that that was a shift that we helped create. And it, it, yeah, it was an immensely rewarding time. And it's been copied all the way around the world. I heard you say in another interview that some countries just lifted the code from. Yes, they did. Like they UK. did. They did. They did. I think. I think Israel did, if I'm right in saying, or maybe even Denmark. Mike would remember. Um, I know it makes me laugh because one of the best compliments I've ever been paid is in the source code on the gov.uk website front homepage. It says thanks MLF, and oh, so I, I, that. <laughs> I laugh. I really laugh at the thought that maybe it's, it says that in Israel and in all these, in these other countries <laughs> where it's been lifted, and some eagle-eyed coder might be thinking, "What is this?" Yeah, <laughs> just kept it in the code in case yes, it breaks. Yes, exactly. Funny. So, what's happened then to all that digital talent? Because I mean, obviously, I'm not asking you to defend the government because this is not your job. But why have we not been able to handle a project like Track and Trace? given that uh, we had all those 
skills to deliver something as groundbreaking as the digitization I mean, of government you know this from extensive work in a, in the digital world and interviewing people it firstly it's hard right it's really hard and i don't know enough about the track and trace program at all i don't know how much is outside agencies how much was autonomous little team being built but what i do know is the work that was effective in gov.uk and the government digital service was because of the team that was built there and the laser sharp focus that that team had you know mike and the team there mike's strategy was the strategy is delivery it was relentlessly focused on creating the product and getting a few functioning services out there with a massive kind of public service mission layered on top of it and that might sound exactly like you know the kinds of challenges that we've had over the last year but Mm. it is only about the people you've got to find the best possible leadership and then make sure they feel empowered to deliver and are able to recruit the best people around them and I just don't know the internal dealings of what happened with the system and whether that was the case or whether it was just too much fighting between departments or agencies or who, however it was being built and you know and this is hard you know in their defense it is hard maybe there weren't enough women in the team Martha <laughs> inevitably I mean that's a given we don't even need to we don't even need to that's an extremely important point that I'm appalled I didn't mention uh, of course there never are I mean full no. stop there never are in any tech project no yeah. in, any, in any in any project I would argue yeah. but anyway so, you know, we've just been talking about the pace of change and you were obviously, you've, you know, you've been involved in digital for the last two, five thousand years yes. <laughs> since the beginning of the dawn since of time. People were rattling <laughs> the telephone cables. Yeah. So you, you launched lastminute.com back in 1998. You were described as the poster girl for the dot com boom. Mm. And when I read that, I thought, gosh, you must hate being described like that. What, what no, was it's that just, like? It's kind of, to be honest, it's embarrassing when I'm now in a I was 25 and now I'm 48 and uh, sometimes that's sort of Martin and Fox and your people describe me as your co-founder last minute to come and I think really has the last nearly 30 years not been Counted anything else. Nothing. Yeah. nothing. I know. So that's somewhat embarrassing. And uh, to be described as a girl now as a very old middle-aged woman is also somewhat <laughs> embarrassing. But do you know what? I, I feel genuinely so grateful to have had and lucky to have had that experience. It's a bit like being, I think it will become a strange guy, maybe you understand what I mean. Sometimes I think it's a bit like being in a pop band that had an incredibly massive hit once <laughs> and you know, I was immensely famous for about a, a brotherhood of man maybe yeah it was something like that. <laughs> exactly. you good, won the euros good, yeah good choice exactly <laughs> um I wonder what was happening to the flying pickets the other day I thought maybe it was more like oh, that gosh yes they um, were a one-hit wonder as well weren't they maybe they were anyway <laughs> it feels sometimes a bit like that because it was it was immensely exciting i did feel as though we were not just building our own business, but building a different kind of culture without trying to sound grand. You know, it, the fact that when we started the business, it wasn't just because of us, but because of the kind of huge number of things happening around us, which we were a piece that felt like a bit more perhaps a trigger or an accelerant. Um, you know, entrepreneurship was growing. The idea that you would go off and start your own business in the late 90s just still was strange. You know, people thought we were very odd. It wasn't cool. My friends thought I was nuts, to be honest. And nobody really understood what the internet was, let alone that people would buy things on it. All of these things, which now seem kind of obvious, really weren't. So we weren't just trying to convince people about lastminute.com and what we hoped would be a great service. 
Although, to be honest, at the beginning, it was just me faxing things between us <laughs> and travel operators, which nobody really uh, believed. But we were also building a kind of belief that this was an exciting new world, that this was really going to change how things operate, all those things. And so to be part of both strands was immensely exciting. And I do really feel you know, changed my life, changed my life mm. in every way. So I feel very lucky to have had that experience. So you've kind of ridden the digital wave, really, back from the 90s, right the way through the dot-com boom and bust to where you are now. I'm really interested in your charity, Dot Everyone, that ran for five years between 2015 yes. and 2020. The fact that you yes. then turned your focus to responsible tech, which is, as you know, what I've spent the last kind of five, six years yes. doing as well. Why did yes, you launch that? And then I was really sad when it was closed down, although I know that it's been taken over by other organisations. So... What was the impetus that made you think that's what you wanted to, you know, establish a charity in? I was asked to give the Dimbleby lecture on BBC One, which is a kind of moment in the BBC's calendar when they ask somebody to talk about things that they think are interesting or relevant in society. And I was so uh, delighted to be given an opportunity. It was somewhat, again, terrifying because you have to clarify exactly what you feel about the world or what you're kind of what's interesting to talk about that you've learned. And it just so happened that, unlike a lot of things in my life, the timing coincided with just the beginnings of a sense for me, and I think for a few other people in the tech world, that the shine was coming off tech and that we maybe were becoming a bit more suspicious of this kind of rampant growth been so exciting post the launch of the smartphone you know i'm on the board of twitter so i need to declare an interest but you know the world was shifting very fast and it seemed immensely exciting but 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 you know it's still slightly before the cambridge analytica scandal and some of the other moments in time that really definitely changed people's trust and perception and so on but it made me have this opportunity to think about okay i've got 45 minutes of television live on bbc one that is an amazing opportunity what am I going to say and make it meaningful? And I didn't want just to blur on. I wanted to try and think about what might change as a result of it. So I talked about my career in tech and how, you know, as a woman and as a young woman and as a part of this kind of, as you say, being a poster girl for something, what that was and how that felt and then how it moved to become more about um, digitizing society through the government digital service and what we've talked about. And then now and what did I feel about the world in 2015 and what I felt was there's still a lot to do and I felt that it was not just me but that people were feeling this unease they felt uneasy about the fact that no one knew where their data was going and so on and very unlike any other moment in my life I kind of I hit a bit of a you'd seen it too but that kind of zeitgeist and just a bit of a Cassandra about it and then at the end of the lecture when I first wrote it I kind of just ended you know I said this is what I think and I read it out to some people that I knew would tell me the truth and a very brilliant guy called Russell Davis just looked at me and goes yeah it's fine it's just boring and I said okay how can it not be boring and he said you need to say therefore what what are you going to do about it and I thought oh god I don't want to do anything about it I just want to be one of those people that says things exactly (laughs) I want to be like a journalist I want to say this is really important but not have to do anything about it because that's not that's not your job what what do you do about it so I said at the end so I think we need a new public institution dot everyone and again I didn't really think I was going to start it I just kind of thought it might kick the government to think a bit about or anybody just to think a bit about maybe some organizations that needed to do something about it 
quite surprised though I did end up starting it and that's where it came from and that's sort of very long preamble but that is because there was a long genesis into it and took a bit of time to work out how it could be most helpful but in the end what turned out to be helpful was continuing to keep the conversation at the top of a bit of top of a political agenda and make sure that MPs, legislators, policymakers, think tanks, to be honest, were thinking about this as an important piece of the puzzle. Never wanted to establish some big, long legacy organisation. So when five years' work had been done and we built these toolkits for companies to learn how to make more responsible technology and we'd done some research to show uh, how people felt about tech that was able to be copied every year and we just created some products that could sit in other places. It was the right time to wound it down and it just so happened to coincide with the beginning of the pandemic which just absolutely mm. clarified that it was going to be harder and harder to raise money for things in this remote environment so it was kind of the, the practical moment in time kind of I didn't particularly choose that particular second because the pandemic hit but yeah. it was always my intention that over the course of you know it was not going to be a long-term institution and I think it was right to, to stop. I think lots of things don't stop, and it's quite a good thing to stop sometimes. Yeah. Talking about stopping, I don't want to take up very yes, much sorry. of your time. I've, I've, got, I've got about five <laughs> minutes, don't worry. So um, we just have three final questions that I ask everyone that's come on the podcast so if you don't mind we will wrap up with those so have you got three words for me it's quite hard isn't it over three decades to sum up your relationship with the digital world in three words but I was wondering if there were three that kind of sprung to mind when you thought about it my relationship with the digital world is quite hard to kind of take personal I can put in what feels meaningful I think more to do you know that's probably more to do yeah Yes, I think that you know, having started a successful e-commerce company, you might say, well, that's it now then. But it felt like there was more to do because I wanted to do work in government. And then when I started doing that, it felt like there was more to do because of seeing so very sharply the digital divide and then the responsible technology. So, yes, more to do. Yeah, and that it sums up looking to me, looking at your career, every stage in your career, how you've moved on to the next thing because you've seen more to do. So I love that. What do you wish you'd known about the digital world, what, what do we all wish we'd known about the digital world, maybe, huh. before you started kind of using it or, you know, fully embracing it in those early mm. days? Is that anything? I, I don't, that... I don't, I'm not sure that's how I'd frame, the, I understand what you mean, but I asked me that, but I don't think that's been the challenge for me because I don't, again, I don't mean to sound arrogant or grand, but I'm, I think I'm lucky in that I have seen things quite openly I feel anxious that we haven't brought people up enough people particularly policymakers, into understanding more of the digital world so I think I've had a naivety in assuming that somehow you know we'd be able to balance the good and the bad and it's not that it's that, that binary but the kind of shades of grey and that mm. all of the complexity around regulation or online harms or children's relationship to tech or corporate ownership of technology or the digital divide or the massive gender issues, all of the things that those of us who've worked in the sector, particularly, I think, as a, at one point, young woman and now old woman, see, because you see them, you see those vulnerabilities. I wish perhaps that uh, I hadn't been so naive in assuming that more people would get that and see that, particularly from a policy point of view. 
because yeah. that, you know, those are the levers that impact so many people's lives. And finally, we haven't really talked about it at all, but you're obviously a smartphone user. I was wondering what you think you might have learned about yourself from your relationship with your smartphone. Do you consider you have a relationship with your smartphone? You may not. I think it's I don't have a relationship because it's part of my body. <laughs> it's <laughs> a limb. I do think, yes. Um, what I've learned about myself is one thing is that, you know, like everybody, it's it's bad. And I, I definitely have had to, especially since having children, made much more of an effort than I thought I would ever have to, to put it down and be present with them and not have it with me when I'm with them. So that's, you know, that's been slightly more of a change. But in the same breath, sometimes I talk to people and they say, oh, I've got this such a problem with my smartphone. It's always waking up at night. I'm like, why do you have it in your bedroom? Are you absolutely bonkers? You know, something, I don't turn on notifications. I never, ever take it into my bedroom at night. It stays downstairs whenever I go upstairs to watch TV or read a book or whatever from nine o'clock at night. So I realise in some ways I have quite a healthy relationship with myself, Mm -hmm. with it, sorry. But in other ways... You have to be so mindful of how you're projecting. So I might think it's fine walking around with it in my back pocket in case I need to send a WhatsApp message. But what my five-year-old kids see is me walking around in my back pocket. And that's, I guess, what yeah. I have had to kind of triangulate or think about it from 360. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, totally. It does sound as though you've got boundaries, though, which, as you say, Maybe, although, although yeah. I realise that I, particularly in lockdown, spent way too much time on Instagram and not enough time. Yeah, well, we all have. And on the FT app, frankly. (laughs) We all have. Martha, thank you so much. Great to talk to you. Have a good afternoon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Lost everything you try to see Cause we've all been swept away Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. 
What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 